0: This morning, we're talking about the last urban legend. We're talking about teenagers as being nothing but rebels. And, uh, that's a, that's a stereotype that gets thrown at teenagers quite a bit. That's a, that's something that is kind of popularized and, and coming of age movies that we see or popularized in kind of the, just kind of that American kind of myth, you know, like thinking about the, just the devil without a cause and all kinds of things like that that just kind of really kind of instill in us that if you're a teenager, it means you're rebellious. And as we've looked at all the urban legends, we've seen slices and aspects of truth in all of them. We talked about how God wants you to be happy. And we said, well, that's an urban legend. That's a spiritual myth, uh, but not completely. You know, obviously God is being the perfect father. He wants good things for his kids, but not if it comes at the expense of sin or or at the expense of what he wants to do through you. And so like all the urban legends, there's some truth to this one. That there are some just very rebellious aspects of being a teenager. It's just kind of something that's wired into them. And it's something that, that we may be conditioned to believe because maybe that's what makes the news. Uh, you know, you think about local news segments and there's always something that's gonna, gonna drive society crazy or destroy people because teenagers are doing something. It, it usually follows the weather and is before sports. Uh, you think about how there, there's the, the stories that we tell about our own teenage selves usually involve some rebellion. Those are the stories that get retold. But if you are honest and you look at the fact that a lot happens uh, during that time, it's hard to kind of paint with that big of a brush, that broad of a, a brush. And so what we're doing this morning is looking at what does it mean that, that teenagers rebel and what does it mean that we rebelled when we were teenagers and what we're supposed to do with that. Uh, I think a lot of times we, we kind of just push that to the side and we don't really know how to process that. And that was just me and my, my youthful exuberance or whatever it was. I sowed my wild oats or whatever cliche we come up with. But if we're honest, and maybe we need to just say this up front, there isn't anything much scarier than a 17 year old. You know, if you think about it, they are usually incredibly impulsive and driven by hormones they uh, can drive technologically they're more advanced than you and the last one and the one that they know very well and use it to their advantage sometimes is that they can't go to jail and so for a 17 year old it's just a very dangerous cocktail that's created there and so yeah there are some things that are rather intimidating about teenagers especially from an adult perspective, maybe you've experienced this, I know I have, where it feels like I'm just talking into language than they are. It feels like I'm interacting with a completely different culture, and I have a hard time relating to them. And it's just a very, very difficult thing. And, and, you know, we talk about technology a lot. You know, for a teenager, technology is very native. It's very natural. It's something that they've grown up with and had their entire lives. And so for a lot of us, that's really where the gap is really, really clear. It's very clear how, how big of a gap it is when, when they're programming a computer and you're just trying to send an email carbon copy. And, you, you know, you can't really do those things. And I was looking and thinking about this, and I came across this, this iPhone app. And I think camera was actually the one that showed it to me. And what you can do with this iPhone app is that you can create a received text message, which means you can do this. Let's say that Billy, on Friday night, tells, his, tells Mom, Hey, Mom, I'm going to go over to Johnny's house. I'm going to spend the night there, and I'm going to be there all night. And he can say, hey, I even talked to Johnny's mom and she sent me a text just to confirm this is all on the up and up and here it is on my phone. And so there it says, "says hi, you know, J- Billy's going to be here at Johnny's house all night. Here's my number. Give me a call if you have any questions. But really, that's not a real text message. That's something that Billy went in and created on his, on his iPhone to make it just appear that he received a text message from the mom. And so that, that's kind of one of those things that's like scary. It kind of keeps distance between us and teenagers But this morning, what I want to try to do is talk about how we need to interact with that and engage that. Not just teenagers currently, but but our our teenagers, ourselves, and our past stories. And I've said this before here or other places, but, but I really believe that teenagers are kind of the middle child of society. You know, if you're a middle child like me, that means that you've got all this, quasi baggage of not being the firstborn and not getting all the the perks that come with being the firstborn, but you're not the baby. And so, you know, sociologically, middle children are usually more rebellious. They're a little bit more of the black sheep. And I think that's exactly what teenagers are. You know, we don't really know what to do with them. They're, They're just kind of this awkward stage and we don't know how to relate to them or meet their needs, and so we hire uh, pastors who deal just with students, or we 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 categorize them in school in just this very narrow gap, and we, we separate even groups and subgroups of teenagers. You know, marketers and corporations and businesses really advertise towards teenagers and preteens because they realize that they have disposable income, but it's not very much, but they don't have any bills, and so they can spend it on anything. And they realize that if they get that teenager, that preteen, to buy their product when they're 12 or 14 or whatever, they're more likely to have brand loyalty than if they were buy that project for the first time when they're 27 or 35. And so for a teenager, this is this very formative, very important time of life, but often we don't even know how to connect with them. It's, it's kind of a, well, what do we do with them? How do we, how do we uh, interact with them? How do we even get, um, get their attention even uh, to, to influence them and, and it's so difficult to, to talk to teenagers. It's so difficult to to, connect to them because they are so diverse You know if you typed into google parenting teenagers In a quarter of a second, you're going to get 15.3 million hits responses about people's ideas and notions about raising teenagers I've seen talk to parents who really believe in that you give that student and that teenager total freedom And I've talked to other parents saying, well, you give them no freedom. You actually restrict everything that they consume. And I've seen things work, and I've seen things not work in the same school of thought. I've seen parents that that seem to be doing everything they possibly can to raise their child right, and that child just goes off the reservation at some point. I've seen parents who are just completely absent produce some of the most high-integrity, mature, well-spoken students that I've ever come across. And so there's really not a formula here to raise teenagers. There's really not a clear way to do it, and partly because they are so diverse. And so not only are we a little bit afraid of them, which we are at times, we keep distance from ourselves from them, but we also have a hard time understanding them and even look down upon them. We look at the challenges they face. We look at the the world that they live in, and we see how the things they're dealing with are things that we didn't deal with until our 20s or 30s or 40s. We we interact with the technology in their world, and it's so overwhelming, we don't know where to start. You flip through the channels, and you come across Jersey Shore, and you're just, you can't believe that that is somehow a popular television show with 14-year-olds. You you hear them talk, and you hear the things they say, and you think, my dad would never let me talk to anyone like that in public or private. You walk past a, a teenager at the mall or something, and you think, if my mom saw me leave the house dressed like that, I would be wearing a burlap sack for the rest of my life. And and we look at this and we see all this, the challenges they face. And the challenges are great to teenagers. And we look at the the culture and the climate they live in. It is very, very difficult. And we might say to ourselves, man, teenagers today, they're the ones that are just going to really struggle. This is the generation that's going to just kind of just tear at the fabric of society. They're the generation that's just not going to make it. But if we're honest, I bet your parents said the same thing about you and your friends. Yeah, they face challenges, but so did you. Yeah, they push things and, and, they, and they change things. They do things that make us uncomfortable, but so did you. They rebel and they go their own way, but, but so did you. And so if we look at teenagers and we, we think that we only have the option of being afraid of them or judging them, we're not really going to get anywhere. And if we look at our own past experiences and we either just try to shove it to the side, pretend it didn't happen, or act like that is such a shameful, horrible thing that can never be spoken of again, and I wish I'd never done it, then then we're going to struggle there as well. Because then we're kind of segmenting our own story and and stopping things from being, being points of teaching and wisdom. So if teenagers aren't one big monolithic group, if they really are a diverse group, we need to really see that. We need to recognize that there are great kids that go to this church and other churches, and there are great kids who don't go to any church. There are punk kids that go to this church and other churches, and there are punk kids that don't go to any church. And realize that there's, there's a big spectrum here. About 24 hours ago, I was sleeping. And about 24 hours ago, I was sleeping because I had been up the entire night with, with what I really loathe in student ministry and avoid at all cost the lock-in. The lock-in is, is essentially a, a time where you get all the students together and you stay up for 12 hours through the night. And students love it. And the students here just, just com- completely just said, that's the one thing we want to do. When the new construction is done, we have to do that. And I drugged my feet and hoped they forgot, but they wouldn't let me. And so we did it last Friday night. And I remember it was about 3 a.m. And I'm walking around the church. I'm doing a walkthrough. And we had 37 kids and 14 adults, which I'm really glad we had 14 adults and not like two adults. But, but I'm walking around the church making sure things aren't like on fire or no one's like making out in the closet or something, right? And so I'm walking around and, and I'm thinking about, thinking about my schedule that I had in place. You know, I had programmed the whole night, right? Like we're going to do this and this time and this and this time and they can do this and that and it'll be great and all this. And I was walking around at 3 and I remember and I thought, well, we're supposed to be doing this right now. And I looked around and no one was doing that. I looked around and I saw saw a group of uh, middle school and high school students who didn't talk to each other normally playing a video game together. And and that was the time that they got together. That was going to be their their conversation point from that point forward. I walked into the cafe and I saw a group of high school students sitting around a table talking and I sat down and joined them and I realized they were talking about really, really deep spiritual things. They were talking about world religions. They were talking about what it means to be saved. I walked in here and, and there, was, there, was a, there was a group of, of high school uh, leaders um, and they were <laughs> they were doing a yoga class <laughs> over here in, the, in front of the, the the sound booth. They were like, doing these stretches and stuff with students. It was hilarious, but that is what those students are going to remember. And so I remember thinking to myself, we just have such a diverse group. You know, it's really easy to think of students where you just throw Mountain Dew and pizza at them in video games. Well, that's true for some of them. But other ones want to sit around and talk or play cards or do yoga or whatever it is, whatever crazy, goofy thing that they're going to remember that that was the bonding experience they had. And, and the, the cool thing is, is that as we got ready for this message, as we got ready for, for all the, the things that we wanted to try to communicate this morning about our students and about students in general, about teenagers in general, we started asking some students some questions. And so last Wednesday night, we asked our high school students, what is it about Genesis that you value? Not just the youth group, but the church. What is it about this place that makes it your church? Like, what's important? And we actually shot some video of it, I'd love for you to see. I like Genesis because the people and the leaders are so real. Um, and we get free bagels. <laughs> <laughs> I like Genesis because the youth group um, the has basically changed my life. And I couldn't ask for anything better. It's also great to see Paul still serving at his age. (laughs) Genesis Church, I look forward to it every Wednesday. The teachers here are so real and they make you feel so comfortable. You have a great connection with God and it's changed my life. I like Genesis because the first time I came here, I walked in and everybody was really, they had open arms and it's just a place that I feel accepted. It's a safe place to come every Wednesday. I always look forward to coming on Sundays and Wednesdays because the group is so, it's like smaller and it's, no matter who you talk to, you can still connect with them and it's really encouraging. The thing I like about Genesis is um, how the mission here is people and it's uh, spoken through love and truth. Wednesday is halfway through a long school week, but it's my favorite day of the week. I love to come here and see all my friends and there's a sense of unity here. To me, Genesis is just a place where I can be myself. Everybody here, I, can, I feel open to talk to, and I just love it. And I love that they talk about Wednesday night, our high school connection group, but they're talking about the church as a whole. And so I asked um, our middle school students uh, a similar question, and that's that's usually a very interesting proposition, asking a middle schooler a serious question. You never know what they're going to say. And they, and they talked about the bagels, and they talked about the fact that it's um, – that we don't sit in pews, and that they can come in jeans or shorts, and that that they can uh, they connect with the music, and there's lively worship. And one of the kids said, "said we don't we don't sing from those books where they just tell us the number of the song, <laughs> you know, like the hymnal." You know, they they really really appreciated that. Um, but the the cool thing is is that they they had a lot of serious things as well that I love to share with you. Um, they talked about how they valued the fact that people knew them and that they knew others, students and adults. They, they love that there are opportunities to serve here all the time. They love the lively worship in the bagels. This, this one's key, though. They love that there's a welcoming uh, atmosphere and not a judgmental one. Whenever I ask students about stereotypes about them, that judgmental piece pops up a lot. They love that people talk to them and that they don't preach to them. They, they love that there are people in the parking lot and at the doors greeting them. How cool is that that a 13-year-old notices that? that they notice that people are serving just to say, say welcome. They, they like the, the intro to Genesis, that that was a great place for people to learn about our church and get involved. Again, 12, 13, 14-year-olds noticing this, that people are thanked for serving from stage. They like that people are appreciated here and that they wouldn't want to find another church. I asked them, in 10 years, let's say you've moved and you have to find another church. What are you going to look for? And I said, well, I don't want to move. I don't want to go to another church. And it came up in both middle school services and it came up in our high school connection group and the, just this idea that students want to be here and that they don't want to just be at a, a youth program, but they want to be here at this church. And so I told you that I was, uh, I was, at, this lock, I was at the lock-in uh, last Friday night and we had a, had a teaching element and we wanted to kind of do part one of this sermon. And we were going to kind of use some things we were going to do to kind of highlight and let them participate in this morning. And so one of the things that I did was that I read to them kind of this, this classic passage when we talk about youth ministry, we talk about teenagers, we talk about students. And this classic passage of Scripture is in 1 Timothy chapter 4. And 1 Timothy chapter 4 is, is this chapter in this letter written by Paul to this younger church leader named Timothy. And Timothy's having a bit of a bit of a challenge in his church and at this stage that Timothy's probably in his early 30s. So we think of him as a teenager at this point but he's probably a full-blown adult but compared to Paul he's definitely younger. And so Timothy's having some trouble and in verse verse 12 of chapter 4 Paul tells him this. And this is why I told the students Friday night. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. But set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And, and that is kind of just always out there as a, just a, a really popular verse to talk to students. I've heard about, about youth groups. They talk about we're a 412 youth group, or we are, we're, we're going to set an example, and they talk about those things. And that's a, that's a great thing, and that's something we can rally around. And it's really easy just to look at this from Timothy's perspective. But this morning I want to look at it from Paul's. I want to look at it from the perspective of the older guy talking to the younger guy. I want to look at it as, as someone who's saying, I have poured my life into, into this young person. I've mentored them. I've led them. I've grown them. I've challenged them. I've, I've set them up for success all down, the, all down the line. We're going to look at it from his perspective. And it's really easy to think about mentoring and, and apprenticing somebody and be overwhelmed by that. But let's start at that first step. And the first step that Paul takes, and it's in your notes, is that it all starts... When we see potential in a teenager, it all starts to see where, where, where this, this began. And so we're going to see where, where Timothy came onto the scene and where Paul gives a teenager a chance, where he sees his potential and he looks past the immaturity that's going to be there. He looks past the mistakes that are going to exist. He looks past the fact that there will be mistakes made in the future. He looks past all of that and still sees potential. And so in Acts chapter 16, we see where this starts. We see where this relationship between Paul and Timothy began. It starts in verse 1 of chapter 16. It said, Paul came to Derbe and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. So just from those two verses, this is what we can learn. We can learn a little bit about Timothy's family of origin. It says that Timothy's mother was a Jewish woman and a believer. So this is what that means. See, when Paul and Silas, who was his right-hand man at the, or I'm sorry, Paul and Barnabas, who was right man on the, the first missionary journey he took, and he would go into a town, he would start in a synagogue, and he'd go to the Jewish, Jewish uh, uh, house of worship there, and he would preach about Jesus. And so many of the first converts to the faith to, to, to Christianity were Jewish. And so so he showed up there, and Timothy and his mom became believers. But the next phrase clues us in on that family of origin. It just says that his father was a Greek. Now, we don't know for sure, but we can assume from that that we, by not knowing his father's kind of religious faith background, that there wasn't one. We can assume that he was a pagan, Greek is kind of synonymous with pagan in the New Testament, which means that he didn't have a monotheistic, there's one God and one God only who controls everything point of view. He had the point of view that there are multiple gods for multiple situations. And that in this, in this time, that means that, that in this, this, this pagan man, that means the family was a little conflicted, that there were some things about the family that were a little problematic. And so this is something we can relate to where I see a student who comes to church with only mom or dad, and the other spouse stays at home. And I can see how this kind of creates some conflict. We're taking some some students this summer to uh, a couple different trips. We're going on a mission trip to Kentucky, and we're we're going to this uh, high school camp conference experience in Illinois, and and they're pricey. It's like $300 for a student to go on this to cover travel and food and the, the event itself. And I can see where a student could go home and, and, and let's say that mom or dad goes to church with them but the other one doesn't. And all of a sudden there's this marital conflict about writing a $300 check to something that both parents aren't on board with. I can see where there'd be some tension there. I can see where Paul would look at Timothy and say, I'm inviting you to come on this missionary journey around the known world to commit to who knows what, to change your life radically. I can see where mom and dad wouldn't be in agreement. Because at this time, Timothy's like 15. He's a young man. He's still living at home. But he had this great reputation. People in the surrounding town spoke extremely, extremely well of him. And so for Timothy, he kind of had some things going for him, but he had some things to overcome. And like I said, because Paul would usually go to the synagogue first, they would really preach to Jews first and foremost. But Timothy wasn't fully Jewish, which means at 15 to overcome this, Timothy was circumcised. And if you don't know what that means, ask your mom. But but Timothy was so committed to the cause that he went through with that as a 15-year-old. But that kind of really lacks some context because we can look back and see where, where Paul was coming from. Because Paul invites Timothy onto this journey and sets him up for success. And uh, as they're traveling around, they, they arrive in this town called Berea. And like always, they would go in and kind of set up a church. And things were really going great because people were coming to know know Jesus. Like, it, was just, it was just incredible. But it was causing such a stir that the local government didn't really like it. So they ran Paul out of town. Angry mob, threatening to throw him in jail, that kind of deal. And so Paul left Timothy and, and Silas, his right hand man at the time, there there to preach and continue the church. He set him up for success. And, and later on, he sends Timothy to, to Corinth, this really problematic church in the Bible, this church that has all kinds of divisions and all kinds of problems. And he sends Timothy there to kind of kind of calm things down and teach some truth. But he doesn't send him alone. He sends him with this guy who was from Corinth, who was very well respected. It was like a like a city planner of Corinth was had joined Paul in the min, in the ministry. So Timothy, this young guy, walks into this hugely problematic church, but with the support of someone that everyone knew and respected. And then finally we see Timothy, in 1 Timothy, receiving this letter in Ephesus, this church is kind of a pillar in the New Testament, this church that's so, so important uh, to, to the faith. You know, if you get mentioned in the Bible, you're an important church. And so Timothy was set up for success, but Paul first had to see potential in Timothy before that happened. But the context here is important. And if you back up to Acts chapter fifteen, verse thirty seven, you'll see what I mean. In Acts chapter fifteen, verse thirty-seven, we see a disagreement between John or between excuse me, between Paul and Barnabas. And Paul and Barnabas were the first kind of partners in ministry. And verse thirty seven says that Paul, or sorry, Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark with them. But Paul did not think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia. And had not continued with, him, with them in the work. So, John Mark is this other young man who had been ministering with them the first go around. And John Mark, about halfway through the, the, the missionary tour, backed out, left them, abandoned the group. And there at the end of the first journey, Barnabas approaches Paul and says, Hey, let's bring him back. Let's give him another chance. And Paul, Paul says, No, I'm not, not comfortable with that. And we see Paul doing something that we've all done. We've been burned by a teenager. And we're not going to give him a second chance. We don't trust him. That's not, just not going to work. But we see in a few verses in the next chapter over, Paul giving a second chance to Timothy. And I think that proximity is incredibly, incredibly important because it means that Paul was willing to change his mind. He was willing to repent about that. He was willing to say that rebellion is part of a student's formation. It's part of a teenager's life, and it's part of your life as well. You know, we think of rebellion, we think about the big things. But I was I was talking to a mom yesterday at an open house for a graduation, and, we, and I realized that the rebellion happens in the small things, and that that we all rebel in little or big ways. And she was talking about her son who's graduating, and and that he had it's coming up on senior skip day, kind of this rite of passage that a lot of people do that my mom wouldn't let me do, and I'm still bitter about it. But, but senior skip day is something that, that happens, and people do it, and, and they, they, they cut school, and, and they go do something else. I remember growing up, it was a big deal like to go to the track and for practice or something. But it was senior skip day, and, and he, uh, he's, he's one of those kids that has just never really given his parents a lot of trouble. And so, and so he actually went to his mom and said, Mom, can I, can I do senior skip day? Which is kind of a, an interesting thing to ask if you can skip school. And, and mom is, is, uh, is, is kind of of the opinion, yeah, yeah, I think that's fine. You can do that. And they come from a blended family, and so they, they kind of all have to agree. All the parents have to agree. And so, so mom said yes, and stepdad said yes, and then and the stepmom on the other side said yes, but dad wasn't comfortable with it. And he said, no, that's not going to work. And the way their family kind of operates, if one of the four says no, it's, it's no for the whole deal. But the thing was that he, he rebelled, and he still went ahead and did senior skip day. And she kind of smiled and said, you know what, that was his little way of rebelling and pushing back, and that's fine. Because rebellion is part of our formation. It's part of who we are. It's part of learning what we are valuing and what we're not. And you wouldn't want to go through it again, maybe. Maybe you wouldn't want to make those mistakes again. Maybe you really don't wish on anyone else, but you know it's formed you into who you are today. That if you take that rebellious period out of your life, you are not who you are today. And you know that that in that rebellion period, you learned. You learned so much. You gained wisdom. Wisdom doesn't come just with time. Wisdom comes with making mistakes and realizing it. And so for you, your rebellion is core, is crucial to who you are. And some of our rebellion causes more more damage or or hardship than others. But we can't go back and change that. We can only move forward and learn from it. And so rebellion is, is, is part of our formation. I think that's what Paul began to realize. And Paul had to repent of the fact that, that he was judging young people. And so for maybe for you, you need to repent of your view of teenagers. And maybe more importantly, you need to repent of your, of the view of your teenage self. Maybe you look back on your teenage self or your time of rebellion and there's some guilt and some shame and some embarrassment that's, that's really not healthy and not of God. There's some things in there that you don't even want to acknowledge that you did. Because there's there was there were some hard things that happened, and so maybe you need to to repent. And when we say repent, we often think about actions and changing actions, but it has to start first with changing our minds about something. It has to be a paradigm shift where we change our thinking about teenagers in general, both current and in the past, because that rebellion may have been something that created you to be who you are today. So maybe you're you're like Timothy. And for whatever reason, your age, whether you're 15 or 35 or whatever else, is causing people to look down on you. It's causing people to judge you before that you even say a word. It's causing you to to receive kind of flack, and and maybe it's very convenient for you to use your age as an excuse. And maybe, like Timothy, you need to find someone who's going to pour into you, speak some truth, and just say, quit whining and using that as an excuse and set an example. Or, Or maybe you're like John Mark. And you had a rebellious time in your life, and you backed down on some things and broke some commitments, and you're, you're embarrassed about that. You, you lied, you did whatever. But the interesting thing about John Mark is that John Mark continued in ministry. And he actually got, got connected with Peter, the Apostle Peter. And John Mark began to take, take notes and write down stories that Peter would tell about his time with Jesus. And, and what became of that is what you probably know as Mark. The second gospel in the Bible is written by a guy who backed out on Paul. Written by a guy who rebelled and, and, and really disappointed a lot of people. And so maybe you need to realize that even though you rebelled, even though you made mistakes, that still doesn't, that doesn't mean that you are beyond any kind of usefulness. That God's grace is big enough to bring you back and still use you for his kingdom. Or maybe you're like Paul. You're like Paul and you've been burned by a young person. You've been burned by a teenager and you're kind of, you're kind of done. You kind of keep some distance and you judge them. Maybe you need to change how you view teenagers and realize that despite the immaturity, despite the mistakes, there's still potential there. And maybe that means that you come and you serve. Maybe you judge them. And to know. Because I talked to and one of them, something to do with them. the always been. You find that teenagers act and things value. On Friday night during the lock-in, I asked him a question. I read that verse. I said, well, how can you make an impact now? How can you stop using your age as an excuse and change not only your life but the lives of those around you by by letting God in? And we had them do something creative, and and Terry Trowbridge helped put this together, um, this really cool thing that they they made in many ways. And this is what I just kind of call the the impact board. And what happened was we took these strips of canvas and we gave them to students, and they, they wrote how they can make an impact. And we took these and we put them on this canvas to spell out the word now because we really firmly believe that now is the opportunity, that there's no need to wait. There's no need to to, to pretend that they need to be an adult, they need to have a job, they need to be married, they need to whatever it is, that that if they're just waiting, they're wasting time. And, and maybe for you, that's what you need to hear this morning, That that if you're waiting to make an impact, maybe you're wasting time. Maybe for you, you need to repent of that notion that you somehow have to wait for something else to happen before you can make some change, before you can take a step of action. And so these students came up and they said, you know what? I want God to come in. I want God to move me to make an impact. I want God to to move me to donate time and money. I want God to help me bring my parents back to church. I want to help my parents out without being asked. I want to stick up for people who are getting bullied. I want to pray more. I, I want to I fight the comfort zone, that comfort zone that we all have where we don't reach out to those around us because we're, we're in that comfortable spot. And, I, and I'm going to leave this up here so you can come and look at it after after the service. But maybe we just need to remember that, that God is willing to use us now and that God's willing to use teenagers now and he, he, we don't need to wait. And that, and that in doing so, we're able to make an impact. And for you, maybe the first thing you need to do is either repent of the way you view teenagers. Or maybe just repent of the shame and the guilt that you're holding from your own rebellion and let that go. Let me pray for you. Father, I, I thank you so much just that there is grace and that there is grace enough in, in this whole, this world and the way we relate to you to, to be able to, to receive a, a new opportunity and a chance. And Lord, that there's, there's not something that we could do or not do that's gonna keep us from you. And so, Father, as we interact with teenagers and think about what that might mean, Lord, we just pray that you would show us how to, how to let them in, how to engage them, how to look past their flaws and their mistakes. And, Father, I just pray that you would continue to let this be a place where teenagers not only feel welcome or, or appreciated, but where teenagers and adults can worship together. And, Lord, I just thank you so much for the way that you're allowing teenagers to teach me and everyone else in this community. Lord, we love you. It's in your son's name. Amen.